Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to the first Monday Drive Home show of 2022 with me, Rebecca Ricketts, coming to you live from Dubai. On tonight's show, I'm joined by Head of English and my cousin, Sarah Hancock, to discuss all things teaching and leading English. Join in the discussion by calling or texting in. Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So hello and welcome and happy new year to everybody who is listening in today. It is absolutely wonderful to be back on Teachers Talk Radio after what feels like a very extended break. I think it's a whole month actually since I was last on air, um, which is the longest time I've gone actually since I first started doing the show. So I feel a little bit nervous. So be kind, <laughs> but I am back and what a show I have for you today. So yeah, this is my first ever extended Teachers Talk Radio and I don't know why I'm nervous because I don't have that long to actually talk live because as I mentioned in the opening, I'm joined today by not only a fellow head of English, but my cousin, Sarah Hancock, who I am absolutely thrilled to have joining me. We had an amazing time on Saturday. We've had to pre-record because Sarah's currently working back in the UK. So we had to pre-record the interview, um, but we didn't stop talking. So I have started a little bit earlier so that I can fit everything in. Um, so very briefly, just a bit of an update about life over here in the UAE. I returned back. I had a wonderful two-week break back home in the UK. It was amazing to see friends, see family, be back with everybody, and hopefully we'll have more time to actually talk about all those things in next week's show. Um, however, upon um, landing back in the UAE, I did test negative for COVID. I seemed to manage to dodge the bullet. However, my friend that I was traveling back with, she tested positive. So we're still under close contact rule here. So I spent my first week back, well, I spent my New Year's Eve and my first week back in the UAE teaching back online. Um, I know there's a lot of people in the UAE. I know there's a lot of people across the world right now who are in that position. Oh my goodness me, the memories. They came flooding, screaming back, I think I want to say, um, of, oh, I'm on mute, and can you hear me? And will somebody please answer? Um, but I'm really happy to say that I was back in school today. And again, you know, we can talk about the virtues of online learning. It, keep, it keeps us going. But to be back in the classroom today, once again, it's something that I am never, ever, ever going to take for granted um, so yeah absolutely wonderful day today which is also very strange because new year new UAE um, I always picked the Monday show because the UAE we used to work Sunday to Thursday and I always used to like the fact that I had Sunday to kind of get settled in back in the working week 
However, we've now changed and we are with everybody else. So your Mondays and Monday Dread is now the same as my Monday and Monday Dread. Um, we now work in Monday to Friday as well. So I'm very confused on the daily. Um, my <laughs> timetable hasn't quite caught up with itself. So yeah, tomorrow is Tuesday. And last term, Tuesday was hump day and very much is not anymore, which is going to be an interesting thing to get our heads around, I think, people, students in particular. But the payoff is that it is actually now, and I am sorry to go on about this, but it is quite wonderful. The payoff now is that we've got a four and a half day working week. Our days have always been very long in the UAE, but we do now finish at midday on a Friday. So... I can't complain too much and like I say this is day one of me not being in isolation and not working from home and not being back online um, so we'll see how it goes but forgive me if sometimes I say to you oh yeah tomorrow Tuesday Wednesday whatever I'm still getting my head around it I think it's going to take a little bit of time Anyway, like I said, I don't have masses of time to talk live today. Like I said, I had to start the show early so that I could fit everything in, which is wonderful in itself. I'm also, once again, having fun grappling with the technology. I'm trying to use um, various different means to play everything that I need to. So I'm going to have another go at something else and see if that works. Um, if it doesn't work, then bear with me because I'm going to try... <laughs> something else um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the news and the adverts I want to get those in nice and early and then hopefully I will be able to um, get this interview with my cousin Sarah who is ahead of English up and running and off the ground so let's see if this plays this way bear with me while I try let's see what comes out now anything Yep, see, absolutely nothing. I do try. The technology really is not my friend. So I'm going to play now the, um, the news for today and our adverts, and then I will be back with you after this. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
According to a report in the Times Educational Supplement, the current state of SEND provision in England is resulting in magnet and honeypot schools. Magnet schools is a term which has increasingly been given to settings which have a higher percentage of students with SEND on roll than is reflected in the local community. Many of these schools are concerned that their higher than average proportion of students with SEND is not significantly recognised by Ofsted or the government. Pep Delazio, head teacher of Wales High School in Sheffield, says his school is a magnet school and added, it's like having a five-star review on TripAdvisor. This year's open evening was frightening. We had parents coming from all over the nearby authorities we serve because of our reputation. And that is worrying because while we want to do our best for these students, how long can we maintain it? According to the most recent government data, between 2015 and 2021, the number of SEND students in England rose from 991,981 to 1,083,003. In October, Nadim Sahawi said that he recognised the urgency around providing the provision of SEND. The Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, has backed the reduction of the COVID isolation period from seven to five days, saying it would be more helpful. Speaking to the Sunday Times, he said, the UK Health Security Agency have said they want to review it. So we will stick to seven days, but if they review it and say they will bring it down to five days, then that is even better for me. It's even more helpful. His comments come after parents were urged to book jabs for their children as official COVID deaths passed 150,000 in the UK. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I looked at some free apps for the New Year's resolution of getting fit and healthy. This week I tried a few things out and I'm ready to present my findings. First up, the free version of MyFitnessPal. There's an old age saying that 90% of fitness is in the kitchen. If you want to get in shape, you have to have the right building blocks to do so. With this in mind, I set out to log everything I ate and for good measure, I even broke out the scales to get portion sizes correct. My first discovery is that 45 grams of granola, the recommended portion size, is nothing like the portion I've been having. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that it wouldn't even fill a hamster. Realising I was eating three or four times the portion I was supposed to was made me think about my other choices. So I ate the recommended 45 grams and logged the milk. I was surprised how easy it was to find foods in the search feature, even supermarket brands. The app gave me a calorie target based on my weight, height and goal I'd chosen. As I had a coffee, I decided to map out my day and stick to it to stop myself cheating. After a week of tracking, I reviewed what I was eating. I could see where most fat and calories were coming from, allowing me to consider, I'm not promising anything, where I could make changes. The question you want me to answer is, did I lose weight? The answer is yes, but I think my next experiment had the most impact on that. Over the break, I managed to fall asleep watching TV and woke up to an infomercial on a DVD box set to get fit in 60 days. 60 days sounds quite quick, 
Well, thinking about it, it's practically two months. However, I did a bit of research and found a program that didn't need any weights or equipment, just floor space. I picked up the Insanity Workout series for around £35 on Amazon. My thinking being, you'd pay that for a month in a gym and I get to keep this forever. Now, I will confess, I do consider myself quite fit already. However, nothing could have prepared me for this. With Sean T, the amazing energetic coach, screaming, dig deeper, and about 20 fitness professionals bouncing around what looked like a high school gym, I've spent 45 minutes a day for the past six days jumping, stretching, squatting, and definitely sweating. Being honest, I was ready to tap out after the warm-up on day one. I'm not going to lie, I used muscles I don't think I've ever used. By day three, even sitting still and lying in bed at night hurt. After pushing through today on day seven, a rest day, the pain has subsided and I feel great. I just have one word of warning. If you're looking to do something like this, the long walk from the car park with a load of books may be impossible in the first week. Read the disclaimer, this is not to be taken lightly. In conclusion, I can't see myself keeping up my fitness pal once the novelty wears off, but it has made me look at my diet. A DVD fitness program for me is great. Finding 45 minutes is not always easy, and if you want to try before you buy, if you're a member of Netflix or Prime already, there's programs on there which are already in your subscription. Next week, we're back to Tech for Teaching. I'm Steve Woods, and this was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so welcome back. Now, that's the first time I've heard Steve Woods and his briefing, and I think that's absolutely brilliant. I was trying really hard not to laugh so that people couldn't hear me in the background. Um, so... I can't really believe it. I can't believe this is my first show back. I feel like I've got so much to talk about, but I did a lot of talking with Sarah Hancock, Head of English at Heckman White Grammar School back in West Yorkshire, where I'm from. Um, be interesting as we go, go ahead and go along um, because we do sound fairly similar. Um, so please sit back, enjoy. I will be here. If you've got any questions, please always type them in the chat. Um, you can also find Sarah and myself on Twitter. So if there's anything you want to know, please message us on there. So enjoy, because it was really good fun to have this conversation with Sarah Hancock, Head of English, and my cousin from Hetman White Grammar School in West Yorkshire. So here we are today, joined by Head of English and my cousin, which I'm very excited about, um, Sarah Hancock. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh no, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> um, so before we kick off, obviously I've already mentioned that you are my cousin multiple times, um, but could you please tell everybody who's listening about yourself and about your career to date? Yeah, so I am 41 years old. I, my name is Sarah Hancock. I live in Wakefield in West Yorkshire. So a little bit of a long way away from where you are in sunny Dubai. I've just been told that it's very cold outside and you're in 24 degree heat. <laughs> um, I have been a school teacher now for nearly 20 years, which really freaks me out a little bit. It's a very long time. Um, and in addition to being a teacher, I am a mum to two boys, Jack and George, who are 13 and 11 nearly. Um, and I have a very wonderful, long-suffering husband called Rob. Um, so that's that's a bit about me. Um, but yes, a teacher for 20 years, and it's been quite the roller coaster. But I'm still doing it and still loving it every day, pretty much. 
Um, so that's a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about where you're at right now in terms of your job, what you do, where you teach. So I am Head of English at Hetman Dwight Grammar School um, in West Yorkshire. And it is a selective grammar school. There aren't many of those in the north of England. We've just been voted the 10th best uh, state school in North York, in um, the north of England, actually. So that's quite an accolade, quite an achievement. Um, I've worked at, um, I'm, I've said I'm head of English. I've worked there, this is my fourth year. Um, and it has been a very interesting four years. I've only done one, what I call normal year there. The last three have had have been impacted by COVID. So, but it's a wonderful school to work at. And, um, you know, being head of English there, I'm incredibly proud um, to say that I work at Hetman Dwight. It's, it's, it is a very special place to be. So you mentioned that you are head of English. Was that always your chosen career path? Is that where you always wanted to be when you started teaching? Um, when I started teaching, I did think I'd go down the pastoral route, actually. Um, that was one of the things wow. that, oh yeah, I know, I, I didn't necessarily set out to be a head of English, I thought I was going to be a head of year, and I was for three years, um, but but obviously things never quite work out the way you, you thought that they would, I mean I was always passionate about teaching English, but I was passionate about working with young people, and um, I, I really enjoyed um, the, the sort of pastoral care, because if you get that right, and you, you're looking after children's well-being and everything else, then they can access the academic side. So that was my way of thinking. Um, but at the time I became head of year, they were just phasing out teachers in those particular roles. And we did have a phase in education where teachers didn't take on those pastoral roles. They were non-teaching roles. Um, so at that time, I was moving from um, Nottingham, where I trained and where I had my first teaching job, and the advice I was given and was, you need to be looking at the more academic route. So that's what I did. And I was literacy coordinator. I was second in English. Um, I've been a lead practitioner with whole school responsibilities. Um, and then and then I felt that becoming head of English was the final piece of the jigsaw for me, really, in terms of having that rounded experience in school. Um, and I haven't looked back, really. It's been, it has been a little bit like, um, I've learned so much and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the job and continuing to enjoy the job and um, there's never a, there's never a dull moment so although I didn't perhaps set out 20 years ago to be head of English um, you know I do feel that all the experiences I've had have led me to this point but at the same time I'm, I'm not I'm not settling here I do have aspirations to be senior leadership and I'm hoping over the next few years I'll have have, have built the the, the the extra layers of leadership experience that will take me down that particular route. Just out of interest, it's quite a personal question. You talk about wanting to go down the senior leadership route. What kind of leadership role would you be interested in? For me, I'm a passionate advocate of teaching and learning. I'm very, very open about that's where I want to go. Like, where, where would yeah. you see yourself? Well... I think it would be teaching and learning or curriculum as well. Um, either of those pathways interests me. Um, my line manager at the moment um, is deputy head in charge of curriculum and I can really see you know, the, the influence that you can have 
when you um, are looking at the broader curriculum that your school has on offer. Um, and, and, and obviously, if you're, you're running the curriculum, you've also got that, you know, teaching and learning fits into that as well. I don't think you can separate all the different components sometimes. Um, but at the same time, I was a lead practitioner and teaching and learning was, was my bread and butter. I, I, I had whole school responsibility for literacy, but, but broader than that, it was about school improvement. So I think either of those pathways would allow me to uh, fully explore, you know, just how, how, I suppose it's about, you know, school improvement is something I'm very passionate about and either looking at it from the data point of view or looking at it from the classroom practice point of view, either of those would be massive challenges but very exciting um, and, and massively impactful as well on the, for the young people that you're working with. So either, either of those roles excites me and it's just finding the right, for me now it's about finding the right school. I think as well it's like you're saying, the influence you can have, I think when we go into this kind of career, we know that we're hopefully going to be that teacher that has the influence on those students. And they say, oh, you know, like we do, I can reflect on the teachers that I had growing up. And I think, oh my gosh, that was the teacher. But I think when you become more exposed to the career, you realize actually those leadership roles, it's just what you said there, having the influence you can have, the, the ability just to change or to support or to influence not just the 30 children that are in front of you, but, you know, an, an entire cohort, an entire school. Absolutely. I, I've i realised as Head of English and in my previous role as Lead Practitioner that if you have strong leadership, um, either within a department or within a, a wider school setting, um, you really can change in people's experiences for the better. Um, and you can change teachers' experiences for the better as well. That's what I believe, because one of the things that I really enjoy um, in my current role, but again, as, as elite practitioner, was the coaching and mentoring of my colleagues. Um, I was NQT coordinator as elite practitioner, so I looked after all the NQTs across the whole school, and that was incredibly rewarding. And likewise, I, I worked with teachers on support plans, which was a very different experience. These were teachers that were struggling in the classroom. And whilst you know, that's not easy. There are some very difficult conversations to be had when you, you're working with teachers in that position. There are also successful outcomes. It doesn't have to be a negative experience. It can be a very positive experience. And I really enjoyed um, working with staff and empowering them and showing them that, that they can overcome whatever difficulties they're facing in the classroom. I find that really rewarding. I think that's really wonderful what you said there because I think you hear about support packages or you, you have that fear and one of the things that I've spoken about on this show before is that fear of allowing people into your space and allowing people into your classroom but you've just said there strong leadership changes young people's and teachers whole experiences and the idea about being able to empower teachers in the classroom that's just so important and that idea again I'm going to keep Circling back to that idea of what you said about influence, you know, that positive influence on whatever kind of role that you have, be it a class teacher, middle leader, senior leader, it's so important, isn't it, that we are mindful that we're working with people, whether it is our colleagues who are the adults or the children that are in front of us every day. And I think leadership, this is one of this word leadership, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on it. What does leadership mean to me? And we are leaders, um, obviously I'm a leader as a, as, as a middle leader, a leader of my 
colleagues, my teachers in the department, but we are leaders um, of our young people as well. We're leading in the classroom. So every teacher is a leader in their own way. Um, and, you know, I, I take that role very, very, you know, I take that role um, on and really reflect on the, the impact that you can have and, and inspiring young people as well. To, you know, you're leading them you're, by example with your passion for your subject, your passion for learning, uh, whatever that might be. So, yeah, it's something I've really thought a lot about I do have a Pinterest board where I enjoy looking for leadership quotes and what is a leader and how do you show that leadership quality because it's not easy and you've got to win hearts and minds when you're a leader a middle leader or a senior leader as well you've got to win the hearts and minds of your young people of the stakeholders like your parents um but your staff and um I think that is one of the biggest challenges of leadership is is all of it, the hearts and minds of everybody that's involved. And if you can do that, and if you can build those relationships, um, and you and you're inspiring and motivating people um, and to want to work uh, for you or with you, um, and people are happy to come to work and school every day, then you, you that's that's when you know you're getting it right, I suppose. And and that's what I'm aiming to achieve, really. I don't think you could have said it better, to be honest. I'm literally scribbling notes furiously with everything you've just said. I mean, I know I'm your cousin, but I'm listening to you here as like one professional to another, and I'm like, I want to work for you. You should. Come and work for me. It's a brilliant I mean, I school. Bit, I might be a bit cold, but... <laughs> You'd be free, yes. And also, we'd be sort of, I'm sure, because you're head of English as well, so, yeah, we'd be in competition, wouldn't we? So, no, don't bother. Stay in Dubai. Well, I think what's really amazing is, you know, we've got such similar outlooks in terms of what leadership is and why we do what we do in terms of the jobs that we have. And that moves me on, again, you know, yes, we're cousins. Yes, we're both English teachers. Yes, we're both heads of English. Um why did you choose English as your chosen subject? Oh, I don't know. I think it was probably written in the stars before I started. I mean, obviously, your auntie and uncle, my mum and dad, um, are probably a massive influence on that. I mean, my dad, your uncle John, he's a, he's a retired school teacher. Um, so I grew up um around schools obviously going to the school but when your dad works in a school you know it takes us in on in the holidays and me and my sister would you know play at schools writing on the blackboard as they were in those days um i used to play i don't know if we ever did this but we, we used to play at schools i'd have all the kids on our street in the garage uh, playing at schools oh yeah and our nana worked in a school so um i remember i was thinking about this um, she worked at a school in Leeds, I think it's Putsy Girls School, she was a house mistress or something, and they must have been having some sort of clear out, and they actually had those desks, you know, the ones that had the chairs connected to the desk, and the desk that lit was up, and well, that was so oh, Where was that, sorry? Well, I say? now remember, you're giving me a memory, I'm sorry to everyone right. listening, because we're really going to family lane now, but oh my goodness. So I remember that coming back to the house and my dad putting it in the garage. So yeah, it was like we were able to, he used to bring me home his old registers, probably long, they, he must have torn out the kids' names and stuff, but there was enough pages in it so I could make my own registers. So so there was that. My mum 
your auntie Anne um, was a librarian. But before that, I don't know if you knew this, she was training to be a teacher, an English teacher. And it wasn't for her. She, I think she did her first teaching practice and thought, what on earth am I doing? It was in a really tough school in inner city Manchester. And it just wasn't for her. So um, when I decided to be a secondary school teacher, she went, are you sure? And I think she gave me the pep talk um, that she wished she'd have had. And I was like, I was determined to do it. So, I mean, obviously I grew up reading. I grew up around books, going to the theatre, cinema. Um, so I was really lucky. You know, all the, we talk about cultural capital, don't we? And this need for children to have cultural capital. It was there in abundance in our house. Um, so I, I went through a phase of not wanting to be a teacher. I, I, I briefly toyed with being a physiotherapist because I used to go to uh, watch Wakefield Trinity, a rugby league team, and I just had these, this vision of being a physio and running onto the field and patching up these rugby players. Um, and then I found out that there was a lot more to it than that, and I realised I, I just didn't have the stomach for it. I'm really squeamish. Um, I wanted to be a journalist. I interviewed um, a survivor from the 1960s air disaster that killed the Manchester, the Busby Babes, and there was a big uh, the Munich air disaster. And I interviewed a journalist that had been with them and had survived that. And he um, came into school and we did this big interview. So there was a time when I was quite passionate about journalism. And I went to university to do an English degree. And it was just during studying and I was, you know, looking into all these things and I just kept coming back to education time after time. Whenever I went up on a little pathway thinking I'd do something different, schools for me are very exciting places to be. You are never going to be bored. There is never a dull moment. And for somebody who threw their life and soul into going to school, I just thought, and who was very happy at school, you know, it wasn't perfect. Um, it is a, a survival experience sometimes in secondary schools out there for kids. I, I just knew that for me, it, it, it always feels like coming home. It is just who I am. Um, and I just remember on my teaching practice, I mean, you know, without banging my own drum too much, they just sort of said I was a natural in the classroom and just could do it. You know what I mean? I think some, not everybody finds it easy. Some people have to work really hard at it. And for me, it was second nature. And I think my dad always used to say that teachers were born, not made, and it's a vocation, and it sounds a bit cheesy, but um, I think I agree with him because when I'm watching trainee teachers and I'm working with trainee teachers, I find some of them, they are naturals, and others, how do you give that constructive feedback where it's, it's you know, it's a bit more about, you need to be a bit more relaxed, you need to let your natural personality shine through. Those are hard feed. that's hard feedback to give because some people, it's like a light bulb moment and you've just got it. And for others, it's not as straightforward. But yeah, for me, teach, I come back, to, even when I fall out of love with it and I do from time to time, teach, I come back to teaching and there is no better place to be than in a school. Honestly, that's, such an amazing there's so many things that I really want to pick up on there's so many things of levels of personal bits that you talked about that I wanted to that I want to talk about um first of all going back to our well my uncle John and your dad saying teachers are born and not made I was so reticent 
to become a teacher. That was so not what I wanted to do. So not who I thought. It's I the was family doing. business. It's it the family business. <laughs> it really is. And you're talking about your mum, my auntie Anne, but my mum, your auntie Kate, she got to her third year <laughs> of teaching yeah. practice and then dropped out. I don't think anybody was more, I'll never say disappointed, but certainly again the pep talk are you sure this is really what you want to do you really want to be a teacher and I think like you I just found my place in the classroom but um I do want to just circle back and tell everybody that's listening when when Sarah's talking about cultural capital and reading and her mum my auntie Anne being a librarian um growing up Sarah and her sister Helen were like my absolute well I idolized both of them and what they had in their house in the spare bedroom is what can only be described as um, a young girl and a young teenager's dream library. It was water ceiling, babysitter's club, Sweet Valley High. And I used to go to Uncle John and Auntie Anne's house on a regular basis and go straight upstairs to the spare bedroom. And Sarah would let me borrow any book, but I used to have to use the library stamp. I don't think we ever cleaned classrooms. <laughs> I had to borrow books using the library stamp. Oh, yes. We had the library as well. <laughs> and I used to fill my suitcases before we used to go on holidays with Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club. Well, that might not be the cultural capital we're talking about. It definitely helped ignite my love for reading. And I do remember Auntie Anne giving me loads of... And you and Helen, top, we went Topsy and Tim, actually, Babysitter's yeah. Club. Sweet Valley High, that is how we went. And then Sarah went off to university, like she mentioned, and I just thought she was the coolest thing ever because we used to write to each other, which... <laughs> I never forgotten about that. Yeah, we used to write to each other and you'd come home and you'd be like, you were really into Sylvia Plath for a while and I was like, who is she? So, you know, we talk about influence, but really. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realise what an influence I'd had. I was obsessed with Sylvia Plath. I wrote my dissertation on Sylvia Plath. See? I remember these, like, this is honestly, we're talking about it being the family business. I think it was inherently subconsciously drilled into me from a very, very, very young age. And oh, no. Also, when I, you're talking about visiting your dad, it's so weird, your dad, Uncle John. Uncle John at school, <laughs> when I had to do my PGCE and I started, my first placement was 10 days in a primary school to make sure that we didn't want to be primary school teachers. So of course I went to Uncle John's school and it was incredible. I absolutely, and it was his last year, wasn't it? It was his retirement year and he'd come and check in on me and I kept calling him Uncle John and everybody <laughs> thought it was really, really <laughs> and it is such a treasured memory. But yeah, you're right, it is the family business. Your dad, our cousin, me, you, both of our mums dabbled with it. I mean, <laughs> like you're saying, Nana worked in schools as house mistresses. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely the family trade. Um, anyway, I'm massively veering off track and I'm becoming very, very nostalgic, but that was the whole point of today's show. Um, I'm going to move it topical and I'm going to keep it to where we are um you've had a week back in school mm. um, my week as I've already mentioned has been somewhat disjointed having to do a week of online teaching due to being a COVID close contact um, but you have been in school 
How has the start of term been for you? What challenges have you had to overcome back in the UK? Right, okay, so it's been a very busy week. I, I, I was falling asleep on the sofa by nine o'clock last night. Um, the biggest challenge has been staffing. So I have had, um, I mean, yeah, across the school, staffing has been a concern. I had a, a, a brand new teacher starting in my department in January. Um, and he contacted me over the holidays to say that he needed to self-isolate because he got COVID. So um, the, the, the last teacher left at the end of the Christmas term and a new member of staff was starting in January and he never made it you know, across the threshold on the first day of term. So that, that was a little bit so awful when he knew it was his like day one of the job. Uh, yeah, he came in on the last on Friday and we just gave him a catching up day because I mean, he's an NQT as well, so <laughs> fair play to him. Um, so I've been setting his lessons in addition to my lessons. Um, and then and then I've had another member of staff shielding, and she's working from her. She's teaching remotely, and we're putting cover teachers into her classroom. Um, and, and, and then another colleague in my department, um, her grandmother passed away, so... Um, so she was out on Friday, um, and the, the, the person that came in to cover for her um, is another member of staff who doesn't work Friday. So what we've got is a fantastic team at my school, um, and part-time staff, if they can and they're able, they're sort of stepping up and coming in and covering. So we're doing everything in our power to keep the school open, um, and obviously, you know, this wonderful, you know, first-class quality education going, despite... COVID throwing everything at us, but um, we, you know, we are a department that are very strong, we're very experienced. Um, a lot of the schemes of work are, are developed and planned, so resources are there. It's literally just sharing PowerPoints with cover teachers. Um, there's a wonderful lady who is a retired science teacher, but I don't think since she's retired, she's actually had a retirement because she keeps coming back into school. Um, and although she's a science teacher, my colleagues said, oh, I heard, um, I heard, I, heard uh, I, I won't say her name, but I heard her delivering the science, the um, English lesson, and she was reading an extract from Oliver Twist. She was having a good discussion about the workhouses. So even non-specialist teachers are stepping up. They're teaching outside of their subject area, outside their comfort zone. But we're very lucky. It's it's a very special school, as I've said before, and the children want to learn. So even when they've got a non-specialist in front of them, they are. They are so appreciative of everything that you do. Um, and, you know, I just, it, it is about, I, I would rather be at school and battling those challenges than remote teaching. Because although remote teaching was great in the sense that we could keep going during the lockdowns, um, you know, I, I did miss being in the classroom. And I would rather do what I can to be in the classroom than to be at home at the dining table. Because doing it at the dining table with two children of your own is mission impossible. <laughs> I genuinely don't know how you did remote teaching with children at home and trying to make sure. I mean, I have already mentioned today that I have been, you know, my first week of term, this has been distance learning, remote learning, because of being a close contact. And here in the UAE, if you're a close contact, you've got to isolate for seven days and it was a pleasure in one respect because compared to where I worked before, I actually had children that were online and engaging with the lessons and we, you know, I wasn't just talking to myself, but um, 
I'm recording this today and I will have given everybody an update of what it's like, but I am absolutely, like you say, there's nothing better than being in the classroom, is there? And I am chomping at the bit to be back there on Monday. So yeah. talk about this today because we know it's pre-recorded and yeah, I'll be giving people an update when I go back into the classroom on Monday, but I can't wait. That's that's what we're here for, isn't it? That's what, that's why we do what we do because we love being in the classroom. We love being with the students. Absolutely. So yeah, no, crazy, crazy start, but you know, it's it's about teamwork, isn't it? And and uh, there's nothing. I mean, I have to say, I think as teachers, there is something that is within us. We're very good in a crisis. Um, and I'm not saying there is a crisis situation, but we're very resourceful. You know, one of the things I often say to trainee teachers and NQTs is, you know, when that somebody knocks on the door in the middle of that observation lesson and there's, there's somebody from the admin office and they're taking the child out and then somebody else walks in and then this happens and then that happens and you carry on teaching. Don't apologize to me because that is being a teacher. We have got to get, we have to think on our feet. We have to expect the unexpected. And um, I think if this pandemic's proven anything about school teachers across the world, we're very resourceful, we can think on our feet and we will find a solution no matter what. I think that's really, really I'm just writing that down because I think that's really <laughs> a lovely message. Teachers, we are resourceful, we think on our feet. I just think, you know, those things are really important to remember. It's really easy, I think, to get bogged down in you know, we see things on Twitter, we see things in the press, it's everywhere, you know, but really, and I think, and I really hope that everybody that's listening today really just, I'm loving hearing your passion and enthusiasm. We can talk for hours about, you know, our lives, our, you know, our family, the way we've grown up, but it's not often that you and I actually sit down and actually talk about our shared career. This is an absolute pleasure to hear your enthusiasm and your appreciation of what we do. So for everybody that's listening today, I really hope that they're getting this. I'm feeling really reinvigorated and I've not actually been back <laughs> to school yet. So I think that's something that's really, really wonderful. Um, so we've talked about a few of the pressures at the start of term, but I'm going to go bigger now and I'm going to ask you, like, as a middle leader, you know, I don't know about you, but I find, you know, you're dealing with pressures from the bottom and from the top. What do you find are the biggest pressures of, the job for you? Um, I suppose results are the one that springs to mind. Um, you know, that is ultimately the pressure to get the results that you know your students are capable of. Um, and then it's all the other things that, that underpin that um, that you start to feel. So for me, with that as your outcome, trying to get your students those the best results that you possibly can, it's then trying to um, manage that in the best way possible to get the best out of everybody, whether that's the young people in front of you or the staff that you are managing and leading. Um, and like you say, middle leadership, I, people, everybody who I speak to says it's the hardest run on the ladder being a middle leader because, as you say, you're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. You've got SLT with their whole school vision and what they're trying to achieve. You've got this team of wonderful staff um, who are looking to you for some kind of leadership and you, you have to be, at the set, on the one hand, you're, you're looking after the day-to-day. -day. You've got your own pressures as a classroom teacher because as a middle leader, you've got a pretty full-on 
timetable of your own, not to, before you even start factoring in all the other things you've got to do. So you're looking after your team, you're doing the best you can for the young people in front of you, and then you're managing the expectations of those above you. Um, and it's this, this balancing act, really. Um, and I just think, I mean, again, as a middle leader, it's, it's, it's trying to maintain positive relationships with everyone that you've got to deal with, but at the same time, knowing that you've got to hold them to account as well at the end of the day. And I think my, the way I choose to lead is by example. So, you know, I can't challenge the, the, the work of others without being exemplary myself. And so that is what I try to, I try to do. Um, and I, and I, I really hope that, um, you know, there is a bigger picture in education and there is a bigger picture in schools and as a middle leader and I have a, I've had extended senior leadership experience because as a lead practitioner in my last job I I had whole school responsibility so what I feel I bring to the role I do at the moment is an understanding of the bigger picture I can see the pressures that senior leaders are under I can see why they make the decisions that they make and I suppose the challenge that I have then is to make my team understand what the bigger picture is and how we fit into that without compromising the quality first teaching and, you know, doing the day job, which is teaching and inspiring those young people that are in front of you. So, no, it's not easy. Um, it's exciting, though. <laughs> I think you no, I completely agree. It isn't easy and it is exciting. I am, and this is something that I've talked about quite a lot, I'm in a very, very interesting and fortunate position where right now I'm in a school that's building its secondary school. So we're just taking forward year seven, eight, and nine this year. This was one of the things oh. that really attracted me to the job. You see, we've, we've caught up. I haven't even told you about this. Um, so, yeah, so we're year seven, eight, and nine. And we're moving into um, Key Stage 4, obviously, next year. And we're growing, and I always do this in air quotes, we're growing organically with the students and the year groups. Um, and I, when the job became available, it was something that I knew I had to have a go at because when do you ever get this opportunity? But, you know, those pressures, like you say, trying to, first of all, I'm very much like you. I try to lead by example and try and do it it, that kind of way. Um, I've worked with heads of department who are very autocratic, who are very, very much, you know, this is it and this is the only way. And I, it's fine for me when you're in a department, it's finding the difference, the, the balance between consistency, but also enabling people to be their own teacher and have their own personality in the classroom. We have yeah. our expectations, we know what we need to fulfill, but obviously people want to do it their way. Oh, we've got a visitor. The cat is here. I do apologize. He likes to just pop in and say hello every time. Every time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for me, that's it. And we're in a very interesting stage. You know, you're talking about your department. You've got lots of experience. You've brought people in as well. You know, you're creating something. And that's the stage I'm in now. We're in the middle of recruitment. Adverts still open on tests, by the way, everyone. <laughs> just going to get that out there. I don't know whether I can, uh, yeah, I keep thinking Dubai definitely sounds a little bit more exotic than Wakefield at the moment. Well, I'm not going to lie, having lived in both places, <laughs> definitely is. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things, we're, 
it's growing all the time and it's changing all the time and it's about having to be adaptable but I really and you know I really for me what resonates is when you're saying you know I try to be exemplary myself I try to lead by example but also making sure that everybody has an awareness of the bigger picture communication is so important when you are leading absolutely communication and I don't think I've always got it right and I think that's the other thing I'm I don't as a leader I I'm not afraid to say, okay, let's maybe that wasn't the right way. Let's let's look at it again. And I think that's also very important. I mean, I would like to think that I listen, um, but but it's about listening and then understanding that we can't always go down that particular path because there's more to the story than perhaps some people appreciate, and it's. Like I say, it's, it's a it's a juggling act, and um, as a leader, you know, you've got to put yourself out there, which is quite scary to start with. And I think it's like anything; it's about you. You will overcome that, and it will become second nature. And you know, I I, I listen to a lot of. Um, I'm fascinated listening to leaders speak. You know, senior leaders when they're running a meeting, especially difficult meetings. Listen, I love listening to politicians being grilled on the radio and on the television because I'm like, how are you handling this pressure and coming coming across as articulate? You've not crumbled. You're not burst into tears yet. Um, so I'm I'm in awe of people that have those. You know, beyond I'm a middle leader, but I'm in awe of those people that take on those bigger roles because that's where I aspire to be. And and um, it's, it is very much a learning process, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not above, you know, I'm not beyond saying, did we get that right? Do we need to look at it a different way? Um, because at the end of the day, you're a human being, and I think, and, and equally, I'm very, it's very important to say, you know, don't forget your senior leadership team are human beings as well. So, you know, I try to be as checking and say, are you all right? As much as you know, I'm checking in with my staff and going, are you all right? You know. I do think kindness, I listened to Mary Portis's um, podcast about the kindness economy and she interviews a lot of business leaders about kindness and um, there's something that really resonates with me there and I think as a leader, you know, being a kind person and treating people as you would like to be treated, it sounds a little bit cliched but I think we've got to remember that teaching like lots of professions is very pressured and We've got to remember that we're all human at the end of the day as well. I don't think that's cliched at all. I think it's absolutely. And I, and sometimes one of my frustrations is I sometimes worry or think that my team have forgotten that also we are trying to juggle all those things and we're trying to juggle emotions. And without being horribly stereotypical, English teachers we're over analyzers, we're overthinkers. That's why we do the job that we do. You know? We certainly are. So I think it's one of those things. And I think everything that you've said there, Sarah, is just so, you know, leading with kindness, checking in with people, whether it's your team, whether it's, and it's not always easy as well to check in with your senior leadership because you just kind of look at them and think, well, you know, you're doing that job, you you've got it, you're giving me all the direction, but you forget that there are still pressures coming from them from above as well. And, you know, it, it's a, like you say, it's a juggling act, a huge juggling act. It is, but getting better at it, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> 
So we've talked a lot about what the pressures are. Um, I'd really like to talk to you. I've done a lot of, well, I've done a couple of shows outside, and, but I do a lot of reading and thinking and trying to balance work-life blend, balance, whatever you want to call it. But yes. those pressures outside of work or even in the classroom, how do you cope? Like you've already mentioned, you're a mother of two, a teenager, a soon-to-be teenager. You know, you've got a lot of other things going on in your life. How do you cope with everything? Um, I ask myself that every day, Rebecca. I really do. Um, I've got better at it. You should be interviewing Rob now because Rob will have a very different take on this than me. That's my husband. his and hers interview. That would be amazing. Oh, I do think that there is something to be said for people who are partnered with school teachers because if you're not a school teacher yourself and you don't fully appreciate just what the job entails, it takes a lot of patience to be living with a school teacher, I think. Um, but I think it helps. He does ground me. He reminds me it's a job. And I think I've learned the hard way, really, after nearly burning out a few years ago, that it is a job. And it's a very important job. Um, but I will never be the best teacher if I'm burnt out and I've not looked after myself. So, um, yeah, I do a lot. I, I do a lot of work on myself, I suppose, in terms of I exercise a lot. I'm a runner. Um, although I'm having a bit of a break from running, I, I did. The, I'm going to drop it in now, Rebecca. Really, I, I really wanted you to tell everybody this. This is the moment. <laughs> I ran the London Marathon <laughs> last year. Um, brilliant! So yeah, everybody knows now. But the only um, member of our family to ever do something quite that monumental. <laughs> Let's just put that out there as Thank well. Thank you. The only. So, yeah. I, I am a bit, you know, I don't know whether that contributed to my well-being. It was, but having goals outside of my profession, it has actually been very valuable. It's given me, because it, it has helped me as a teacher, because it's shown me that anything's possible. You know, it's really helped me build my resilience. And I think resi we talk a lot about resilience in education for young people, but I think teachers need to be resilient as well. Um, but just just setting myself a goal that was outside the classroom meant you know you have to get away from school on time you know put your running shoes on and off you go and running is very cathartic it's very meditative um and i've got a lot out of running over the six seven years that i've been running um other ex i've taken up yoga more recently that's really helped me with like it's like the it's like the yin and the yang isn't it with the the marathon training is very sort of physical and you need a lot of strength um and then the yoga is very good for stretching and and for breathing and i find that very calming and i've got a fantastic online yoga teacher um who's also thrown in some meditation as well so I am acutely aware of how important it is to look after my own mental health and well-being because it's an all-consuming job and it can feel very personal at times when things are not going the way that you want them to at school. Um, so coming home, having a husband that keeps you grounded, reminding you that you know the rabbits need cleaning out, the kids need taking to scouts, um, you know, the Sainsbury's shopping needs to be done online and, you know, that's very grounding. Um, and family is first. What You know, what are we here for? If You know, it's all very well having this wonderful profession, but, um, you know, I love my family and they come first. And it's just trying to find that 
it is it's hard we talk about balance and sometimes and I do I think when work when work is intense I like to think of it as, as um you know uh, it's a bit like you know peaks and troughs so sometimes yes it's coming home at six o'clock it's sitting down at the table on a Saturday or a Sunday and wading through some marking but there are also down times as well where you can perhaps get away from work a bit earlier you don't have to do that marking on that Sunday afternoon and it, it's just taking the highs with the lows I suppose um, and just not martyring yourself to the job um, I've spoke, as I keep mentioning I've worked with a lot of trainee teachers and one of my trainees once said it's becoming a bit of a competition on Facebook who's got the biggest pile of marking who's sacrificing uh, the most this weekend because they've got these books to mark this lesson to plan and I was like that's really sad that's really worrying actually because it you know to use the marathon analogy it's a marathon not a sprint we don't want our young teachers burning out in the first five years which sadly is what's happening at the moment we want them maturing into wonderful experienced colleagues and being the wonderful leaders that they have the potential to be um you know we shouldn't be celebrating the teachers that are up till midnight that are sending the emails at three o'clock in the morning you know i don't you know i've never done that and i won't do that so and i feel very strongly about that and when i say to my team go home don't mark this weekend take some time out don't come into school because you're ill you know you need to live by that but at this, and then you will have the strength and you will have the energy to give it your all when you're in the classroom. When you know you're nine to try and work that nine to five, that eight to five, and and, and try and keep it in perspective. I suppose. I hope that makes sense. No, massively does. And do you know what you said something there, and it really resonated. I feel very fortunate. My current head teacher, my head of secondary, he's very much an advocate of that. He's like, if you're ill, please don't come to school because you're going to have a bad experience. The kids are going to have a bad experience. You know, sometimes we have that whole feeling of, oh, it's just easier to come in rather than the, the pressure of setting cover work. And I'm very much a case of if you're ill, you're ill. Like at the moment, I'm very small. We're a very, very small team, but I'm very much of the opinion. You know, you wouldn't have that in another profession. Your meetings would be cancelled. They'd be postponed. They'd be rescheduled. We can't reschedule nine set four on you know no. lesson of the day but it's what we can do to try and alleviate i guess those like you say those pressures and it's so challenging sometimes and i think sorry what were you going to say and i was just going to say there's nowhere to hide in the classroom you can't have an easy day you can't cancel that meeting like you say you can't move year nine to an hour later or the next day um and, and you've got to be mindful of that. You cannot compare your your job with somebody else's. Teaching is unique. Um, and, and you've just got to be mindful of that. Um, and if you, and, and try not to get bogged down in it, you know, it's a, keeping perspective is so important. And I've not, I'm not saying I've always managed it. I haven't, I've let it consume me. And as I say, I've got to that point where I've nearly burnt out because I'm, I'm trying to do too much. Um, but but I caught myself in time, and I've and, and I've, I think I've come back stronger as a teacher because of it. And um, and again, I think because I oh, another reason why I wanted to be a head of English and run a department is because 
I've, I've worked for people who don't necessarily have that perspective. They think, you know, there is that expectation to be working every night after you get home and every weekend. And and I, I think you can still be an amazing teacher without doing that. And if not a better teacher, because you've got more going on. Agree, my first teaching position in my first school, I didn't acknowledge because I didn't know any better. I didn't realize at the time how toxic that environment was. And, you know, I was sending emails at one o'clock in the morning because that was almost like, I, w I don't want to mm. use the word celebrated, that's the wrong word to use, but it was definitely commended that we were still yeah. working at one o'clock in the morning. And I went yeah. to the next school, the second school that I worked in the UK. And I've talked about, in previous shows, I've talked about that head of department. She was incredible. We were of a similar age and she absolutely had it spot on. And she would work on, she would work on a weekend, one day a week. But so would, so would I invariably do a couple of hours here and there. But it was the first time I'd ever really had somebody that had a healthy relationship with what it meant to go to work and then go home. Um, but I have to be honest, it's only since I've become an international, it's only since I've come here that I have been able to, and, it, and it's been interesting working in this new school and you know building this department. It's the first time that I've worked evenings in the three years that I've lived in Dubai and I'm really enjoying it right now because it's, you know, it's something that's exciting me again and I'm really happy to be building and creating things and I knew that was going to come with the job. But also, wow, what a, what a difference comparing it to walking out. And I would stay until about half past five, but I knew when I shut my laptop that was me done for the day. Um, it, it's, it, it takes some getting used to, again, and preparation and... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not massively advocating it, but the way I'm trying to build it in my head right now is, I work later on an evening to make sure that my weekends are as clear as possible. And I think that that's the other thing. Teaching does allow, to some extent, some flexibility, doesn't it? You can either do the work while you're in the building. You can take the work home. Um, you can work late during the week, but then have your weekends free. And I've always enjoyed that some extent to some extent that flexibility um but at the same time i think there's got to be a culture within your school that supports the work-life balance as well and i have to say the school that i work at at the moment we have a very clear email policy we shouldn't be emailing each other after hours um or at weekends and it is it's a that in itself is very refreshing um and and similarly there is there is we're told don't respond to emails during the holidays and things like that so that whole culture has to be you know from the top down doesn't it because otherwise even if you have that you know there's me saying I have all these ideas about balance but the previous school I worked in I didn't necessarily have that balance there wasn't the same support for keeping things in perspective you were encouraged to sort of work more in the evenings and so on um which just wasn't helpful for me um so yes having these ideas about a work-life balance has to also be part of your school's culture otherwise you'll find yourself in a bit of a, a conflicted situation um 
But yeah, it's one that we can keep talking about, I'm sure, because it's a massive Definitely. one that affects teachers. But, but I've got but so yeah. many other questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move us on because, yeah, like you say, we could talk, that could be a show in itself. Um, this is going to be really interesting because, again, I don't know why I've never tapped you up for this kind of advice, really, seeing as we're <laughs> But what advice would you give to new or aspiring heads of department? Right, okay. I'm, I'm having a look at my notes because I did think, I was having to think about this. Um, you're not, you're remember which number it was. <laughs> question number oh, Sorry, have I, have I just given away your secrets now that you've sent me the questions in advance? No, you're um, absolutely fine. No, to be fair, I was given this advice myself when I became head of department and it was a former head of department that I worked with at my last school. And he said, as head of English, you have to know as much, if not more than everybody else in your department. And I wasn't quite sure what he meant. And then I chaired my first meeting where you're trying to get, you know, you're trying to introduce it. Let's do this, let's do that. And then people start sort of throwing things at you. and you have to definitely, in your heart of hearts, not only know your curriculum, understand your exam board requirements, understand your syllabus, understand the mark schemes, but you've also got to believe what you're saying from your heart so that you can, I suppose for want of a better word, argue your position and, and get your point across. There are, there, there are some very strong personalities in the department that I inherited. And that was my greatest challenge, really. So was being able to get my voice heard amongst all the other noise that was going on in the department. So um, knowing your stuff is probably, you know, that's not a very technical word, is it? Know your stuff. But I think it's when you it really nicely, though, to be fair. Because when you know what you're talking about, it's very hard for somebody to argue with you um, um, anything different um you know to the point where i'm now well i've put my name forward to be an aqa examiner i did it a long time ago free children and swore i'd never do it again but i have um because i feel that i have got examiners in the department and they're fantastic but you know nothing can um you know nothing can equate to your head of department also being able to speak from the point of view of an examiner so whether or not I'll get to do that will depend on whether exams are cancelled or not this year or not but yeah knowing your stuff um on a, on a darker note have a notebook where you record things so maybe conversation if you've had a difficult conversation with somebody you might want to make a few notes I think it's really I don't think nobody told me to do this before I became a head of department but you want to protect yourself so just keeping a record of conversations keeping a record of what you've asked people to do so that if they don't do it and it can I just say that's a big shock so as somebody who is very compliant and always does it at work what she's asked to do it's quite a shock when you realize you can ask people to do things and they don't do it so um yeah don't think that everybody's the same as you um just because you're you're, you're somebody that if somebody says can you mark this and have this data on the tracker by this point that you're going you know everybody's going to do that so keeping a record of things um is about protecting yourself um and then i think i've already mentioned this before as a head of department, you also have to understand the bigger picture. 
you know, and, and, and making sure that you can see the vision of the school. You know, as a head of department, you obviously write, you're, you're involved in the school improvement plan, the, the, the self-evaluation self -evaluation of the school, you're feeding into that. Um, and, and having that understanding of where the school is at and how you fit into that can be very powerful and very important. And the other bit of advice that I was given um, that I absolutely, that is my go-to is believe in yourself. You can do this. You have got this. Um, and you will smash this. You will do a very, very good job. Um, there's none of this imposter syndrome. You know, know your stuff, protect yourself, and believe in yourself. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I want to say that again because we're going to come back to that at the at the end. That was I don't know if I can remember what I just said. It's know your stuff, protect yourself, and believe in yourself. Know your stuff. I didn't write that down as well, just for the record. That is, you know, but I do generally, you know, those are the three. Those are the takeaways for me. Well, I think. Oh, and 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 sorry. Be nice. Be kind. And thank you, team. Always. That definitely. Always. Oh, that I'm literally like I'm like that's that's it. I'm like I'm done. See, <laughs> thanks everyone. <laughs> and we're only halfway through. Know your stuff. Protect yourself. Believe in yourself, and say thank. Yeah, honestly, Sarah, you've pretty much summed it up in a nutshell. I did my last um, show before Christmas was about leadership, and I actually had somebody away from education. Um, completely away from education a CEO of a company and you know it was the same it was very very similar kind of and it, what's amazing is talking about leadership but also you know thinking about whatever level and things that you're coming at but the idea about yeah knowing protecting believing I just think that's so so important so that anybody that is listening new hods aspiring hods hods like myself who are a couple of years in and now getting all the words of wisdom from their cousin um <laughs> go with that because that is one hell of a mantra as well as like Sarah said many times today already be kind and demonstrate kindness and lead with kindness um okay so we've talked quite a bit about leadership and managing middle leadership um the next one I'm really excited actually to know what your opinion is on this question um when it comes to teaching English what are your non-negotiables I really can't wait to hear your answer oh impact if it has impact do it if it doesn't throw it away <laughs> don't bother with it um i i'm not a fan of gimmicks and having taught for 20 years and taught in six different schools i think i feel like i've been through an awful lot of different sort of um fads in education so i trained under the literacy strategy and there was definitely takeaways from the literacy strategy. There was definitely things that um, worked and things that didn't work. And I worked in a school um, that was all about creativity. Um, and they were very much interested in sort of a creative approaches in the classroom. Now, I'm all for creativity and um I'm, I'm, you know, I think as English, as teachers, we've got to be creative. We've got to think, sorry, bit of a cliche again, think outside the box sometimes. But 
if it's not having an impact, it can be the funnest lesson in the world, but if they're not learning anything and if that is not going to help them in, in, in order to develop their essay writing skills or just, oh, maybe I'm being a bit controversial here, does it have a place? Time is very precious in that classroom. So for me, I love, I love, I love using, I haven't used drama in my, I'm going to be honest, I haven't used drama in my lessons for a long time, but I do have colleagues that do. Um, and it definitely has a place and, and there's lots of opportunities for hot seating and, 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 and maybe moving the tables to one side and getting out of seats, albeit COVID precautions. We haven't been able to do that for a long time. But at the end of the day, those children have got to sit down in an example and demonstrate their knowledge and their understanding through writing an old fashioned essay. And therefore, that's what I need to achieve. And so whatever I, I want to see, when I walk into a classroom and I'm observing other teachers, has it had an impact? And if it has, fantastic. But otherwise, why are we doing it? And I don't know if that's going to be controversial or not. I don't think that is controversial at all. I mean, I read something on Twitter the other day and someone had said, um, I don't, I love a PowerPoint, I'm not going to lie. And I know that in itself is controversial, but I do, <laughs> it helps me to organise my ideas, formulate my questions. It's just something that helps me with my planning. And again, we go to the idea of consistency. I have non-specialists in my department. I need to know that all the students are getting at least a single yeah. springboard of ideas. But somebody yes. said, I'm all about a visualizer, the text. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. I was observed in my new school. And the, the feedback was, we want people to see your whiteboard. And I said, what do you mean? And she was like, the way you build your whiteboard. And, and I, I just kind of took it for granted. She was like, the way you build your whiteboard throughout, throughout your whole lesson she was like, there's your progress. And I want people to see, because it is very much me at the front with the kids talking, getting their answers, getting their response. And by the end of the lesson, the whiteboard has gone from being kind of blank, but not because there's working bits. But it's, it's just littered with ideas and quotations and analysis and development. And I've never thought about it like that before it took somebody completely different to look at my lesson and was like people need to see this and I was mm. like yeah okay but I'm not I, I'm still not really buying into it you know I mean I'm still like but I'm very much like you I am not a I hate a card sort I hate I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry to, and, and now I'm being controversial but um, my room 101, see, I hate anything like that. I'm like, what was the purpose? Anything that requires me to laminate, guillotine, <laughs> stick in, I'm over it. I, I absolutely okay. applaud you. I just, I, I spent many years wondering why, you know, why, what will make me an outstanding teacher? And obviously that was before, that was when schools used to come in, observe you and give you a big rubber stamp on your forehead. Am I good enough? Am I outstanding? Have I done enough card sorts? Have I done enough, you know, have I dealt on my head? learners. Am I oh. learn? Oh my goodness. I mean, when I started, have I, you know, yeah, was, have I, 
sorry, I taught Toby, but have I done enough, you know, have I got different worksheets for every child in this room so that they've got this personalized learning? And what I'm, the current, the current situation, and I've had a conversation with um, our deputy head who was in charge of teaching and learning. I said, what does an ideal lesson look like for you? And he's like, oh, I like rows, kids sat in rows, looking at you, listening, making notes. And I was like, is he, is, for a minute, I had a pause and I thought, is he, is he testing me here? And then, <laughs> no, no, I genuinely think that's what he believes. And I was like, hallelujah, this is my place because, you know, I have a PowerPoint, I have a visualizer. It is, that is like, if you haven't got a visualizer, you need to beg, steal, and borrow a visualizer. Because when I started at the school I work at, there was one in the department and I it, the, there was one in every classroom at my last school and the number of times I used to give feedback on a lesson that I'd observed and I said had you just put this piece of work onto the visualizer at this point and talk through what the answer looked like and or you'd modeled this under the visualizer you could have transformed this lesson and it was like having my right arm chopped off when I went to my, this school where I work now Unfortunately, in the last couple of years, um, we got visualizers to the point where I was able to bring my visualizer home last last year when we went into lockdown in the January, and they had it plugged into my laptop. So the kids at home were, able, you know, they were learning at home, but I was able to model. I was able to show I them things. The same. I was annotating poetry with Year Eleven, and they could see yeah. exactly. Uh, Honestly, I should have known that I was going to be a school teacher in primary school because I loved being in charge of the overhead projector during assembly. Like, the visualizer <laughs> is for me the number one. I'm 100% in agreement. 100% yeah. the number one classroom. So, so, there you go. So, yeah, I said, so the non negotiable is impact. And then, obviously, the, the one thing that, again, we talked about the visualizer and obviously the modeling. The, uh, Modeling is and and going through how to write and showing and also getting kids work on sorry students work onto the visualizer and they're really really they're, they're so straightforward you don't need to you know it sounds awful you don't have to plan that lesson you you literally set them up you model something with them you give them some stimulus and off they go they produce something and then you take the book you put it under the visualizer you give them instant feedback. You know, I don't know what the greater impact you can have. It's not gimmicky. It's quality first teaching, and um, it's straightforward. And for the first time in a long time, and it, it, well, I've been doing this for I've been at my school four years, and before that, the visualizer was very much part of my practice at the school. Before that, so the last eight years have been just the br brilliant for me because nobody's expecting me to do anything. It, what is this gimmick I'm missing that makes me outstanding? I don't know. It's good old-fashioned teaching, and that's, you know, that's that's what I'm good at. And the kids make progress; they get it, and it has an impact. So, do it. So impact. I love it. That is it. No gimmicks. Impact. That's what we're looking for. And you're right. Yeah. Um, and I've done it, and I'm exactly the same as you. I've I've tried it. I've Put myself out of my own comfort zone and mm. there's just really no point we know what works and it we is do. an idea as long as like you say the learning has a purpose the students are going to make progress 
Absolutely. And it is, you, you talked about coming out of your comfort zone there. It's like anything, the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature and part of your practice. So again, when I work with, with um, when I say young teachers, people at the beginning of their careers, it is a little bit nerve wracking. You are putting yourself out there, aren't you? Um, especially when you're writing something live in the lesson and the kids are feeding, giving you ideas and you've got to kind of, you know, you've got to be really thinking on the spot. It, you know, you no wonder we're exhausted at the end of the day because you're kind of you're managing your classroom, you're taking ideas, you're thinking about how you're going to write that down, what that's going to look like for a good quality response. You know, it's not easy, but it's that's why you need that strong subject knowledge as well, alongside all the other skills that we have as teachers. Um, but when it all comes together, it's such it is so impactful for young people to see that work in progress. You're thinking aloud, you're modelling how you think and how those thoughts go down on the paper. Um, and you know, I think it's a really invaluable tool is the visualizer and the modelling. I completely agree. And when I'm using just my whiteboard, I mean there was one particular day and the student we the I always think as well with modelling the energy that it can create once the students start to feel confidence and you know you can be like you know you even model mistakes hate to say mistakes but you you model no, things do and then you Miss know crossing things out and they they understand the power of editing and that for me as an English teacher is one of the biggest things is being able to cross your work out and it it's okay and there was one particular lesson I'm just thinking of now we we're preparing for an assessment and I mean, we were writing on the whiteboard, it moved onto the windows, but the energy in the room was palpable because the students were immersed in it and they were involved in it. And yeah, yeah, I'm completely in agreement. I literally, there's nothing more I can add really to what you said. <laughs> all, I, all I was going to say was you mentioned mistakes, but I, with, it's a very high performing school that I work at. It's a selective grammar school. We've got very, very gifted, very academic young people, but they're terrified of getting it wrong. They're competitive. They want to be the best they possibly can. So one of the things that I found myself doing, which perhaps I wouldn't have done in a different type of school, is going, it's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, you know, they love pointing out, you've spelt that wrong, miss, or you've done that wrong, or you've missed the word out. And I'm like, yeah, because... I'm human and I'm thinking out loud so sometimes I mix my homophones up or sometimes I miss a word out because I've thought it in my head but I've not written it on the paper and I said that's what you're going to do when you're under pressure in the exam so when you finish what do I do I read it through and then we go back and we correct it and, and whatnot and um, you know anyway it's powerful. No. What you've just said is really interesting because you do that in a selective school I'm in a non-selective school so I've got children of I teach children who are scared to use a pen because in primary school they were told that they weren't allowed because don't even get me started on pen licenses, but they were told they weren't allowed a pen in primary school. They didn't deserve a pen. And I actually said, I've had parents evening this week and I've said to three parents, because I was like looking through my notes today, so I remember I said to three parents, I don't care about the spelling because it's such a confidence barrier. I don't care. I just want them to feel confident to actually write something on the paper. And these parents mm. visibly sighing with relief because not mm. only have their children got that drilled into them, they've got that drilled into them as well that they have to have the best handwriting and they've got to have. And I'm like, if it's legible, we'll go from there. 
if I can make the word out, we'll deal with the spell. It, it's just, I mean, luckily I've never had to deal with, and you've never had to deal with any kind of, you know, issue in that respect. But I grew up with, I grew up with my brother. I was like, I grew up with our brother. No, my brother is still, you know, and he struggled with dyslexia that wasn't even picked up on until he was in secondary school. And I just think no young person has to, you know, they're dealing with that barrier themselves to then be picked on and picked up all the time. So I think it's really interesting that you're saying that in a selective school, you're saying it's all right to make a mistake. And I'm saying in a non-selective school, it's all right mm. to make a mistake. That's part of who we are. We're human. And I think that's really yeah. important. I also think the adults need to remember that sometimes, but... I do, yeah. Yeah, pen I've well, as a parent, I've experienced the pen license issue. Um, and my son was devastated because all his friends got pen licenses before him. Um, and and, and he's, he struggles a little bit with his writing. Um, and now he's been taken out of PE. So he can, and again, I empathise with the teachers. They think they're doing the right thing. They're taking him out of his PE lessons to help him catch up with his writing, to practice his writing. But for, for my son, he loves PE. That's his, that's what he goes to school to do. Um, now it feels like a punishment. So it's yeah, twenty yeah. So I'm empathetic with the teachers because I know what they're trying to do. They've got the pressures of sacks is in year six hanging over them. Um, but to take a child out of the physical education lessons when we know that physical education is so critical to mental well mental health and well being, we do have. We do have issues, don't we, that are, that are greater than what you and I can resolve, Rebecca. But um, in, anyway. In one radio interview. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah, I can definitely understand why that, yeah, it has many, many, like we say, it's a huge issue that's, we could have a, another whole radio show talking <laughs> Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Right, so you've mentioned that you have a 20-year nearly career. So yes. the next question that I've asked you is going to be really interesting because I've asked you what a standout moment in the classroom would be that reaffirms why you do what you do. Now, I have had moments because, I mean, 20 years, that's... Yeah, I, this, I found this really difficult and I don't know um, because I think there are lots of little moments that add up to... They've got the cat. If there was just one or two standout moments, I don't know whether that would be enough to sustain me over 20 years. It's the little things every day, I think, that make it worthwhile. Um, at my current school, the first time I arrived and a child held the door open for me and said, after you, miss, that was quite special. I was like, that's so sweet. And yet then I had to remind myself, no, this is, this is, you know, this is just a nice, polite child. And Obviously, if I wasn't perhaps working in a school where um, children did that, and there, there were reasons for that, I suppose. But just when children say, th I have children that say thank you as they're leaving the room, or I really enjoyed that today, Miss. So we read the extract in lesson from, it was Noughts and Crosses. I read an extract from Noughts and Crosses, and the librarian went, We've had a rush on kids borrowing notes and crosses from the library because they'd not, they'd have a little taste of it in the lesson, but they wanted more. Um, and and those are the takeaways for me when you it, when you again a bit cheesy when you inspire a child to go and borrow a book from a library or you know a child enjoyed a lesson enough to say oh, 
I really enjoyed that. Or parents' evening and their mum says, you're their favourite teacher, you know. I'm sorry, that, that that makes you feel all nice and warm inside. Well, don't ever um, apologise. That's totally... Well, no. I mean, you know, we shouldn't need that. But we again, we're humans and it is nice yeah, to be appreciated. Like you said earlier, this is personal, you know, us standing up in front of children every single day. It's personal when you hear those things. It is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then the other ones, uh, they're a little bit sadder, I suppose. I worked at a school for only 18 months. We moved from Nottingham to back up to Wakefield because of my husband's job before we got married. And I, I got a job at, um, I went, I got a job as li a literacy coordinator at a school in Huddersfield. And I got the shock of my life. I went from this leafy suburb school in Nottingham to a very, very tough school. Very tough. And and there were there were there were lots of issues. There was massive issues with the leadership of the school, and the kids needed strong leadership, and they weren't getting that. We're going back 16, 17 years now. Um, and and very quickly, I realised I wasn't very happy in the school, and I I got a promotion. Actually, I went to, I got a job as a second in English at another school in Huddersfield. But I, I started in the Easter. And then I went back in the September and it was a lot easier. Moving ha halfway through an academic year is quite a It's a bigger challenge, I would say, than starting in September. So I did a term, which was like the worst term of my life ever. I, my, I lived with my mum and dad briefly, with my husband. It was There was all sorts of things going on. And we had this very, very tough term. And Rob will remember it. And my mum and dad will remember it because it was just like, Oh I my remember God. it. I, now you, Do you remember it. I remember when you moved back in with Uncle John. <laughs> I was traumatised on many levels. But um, I went back in the September and and it was it was easier. It was easier because I'd built those I'd built those relationships and that is, you know, again, another bit of advice. Those relationships, especially in the tough schools, relationships are so important with everybody in all schools, but the tougher the kid, the more you have to break down those barriers and, and build relationships with them. So I'd already built that relationship with them. However, the thing, there, were, there were bigger issues than just the kids I was teaching. And there was an opportunity for second in English. And, and so I, did, I chose to leave. But by the end of that summer term, so I'd done 18 months in total, I remember the kids going, can't believe you're going, Miss. Oh, we really enjoy your lessons, and you know you're really strict, but you're a good teacher. And and I suddenly thought, have I done the right thing? And and because again, it's it, that was a takeaway moment for me. I realised, you know, the the, the 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 oh my goodness me, these children wouldn't sit down, they wouldn't stay in their seats, they wouldn't listen to me. I I'd never felt more out of control in my entire life, and I had to throw everything out that I thought about teaching and start from scratch. And, and I did it, you know, those children by the end of it would come in, they would sit down and they would learn something. Um, and it's incredibly rewarding. It's incredibly tiring. Um, and I didn't look back. I think I made the right choice because I think sometimes if the leadership of the school is not right and it's a toxic environment on top of challenging children, it, it, you're almost on the hiding to nothing. And it was the right decision to leave. However. My, again, some of the things those children said to me as I left, thank, you know, they said thank you. They, they said, oh, you were a good teacher. You're all right after all. It was those things. And I think, you know, that's when I realised, you know, there's a bigger picture that you've got to think about. So I don't think I've, I've not got those, I've not got those 
I don't think I've got those massive moments, those, you know, we're not talking dead poet society moments here <laughs> and, you know, standing on tables and children looking at you in adulation, you know, I'm not a rock star, but it's the day in, day out, it's the little things that matter, it's the little thank you cards and the box of chocolates that know, you, they've thought about you, you've made an impact in some way on their life. Um, I mean, the, one, the only other thing I will say is there was a young man who I taught, but after I went to the, the second in English, I taught a young man for three years. He was in my year nine class, and I carried him through into year 10 and year 11. And I went on maternity leave when he was in year 11, and he went, don't leave us. And this was the same kid that was shouting at me and spent half of year nine in the corridor. And I built a relationship with that young man. He had so many problems, you know, he, there was a lot of domestic abuse at home. And But I built a relationship with that young man and he wanted to be a dentist. So I went, you're going to need an A in English, the old, under old money, an A grade. And, and, he, and he, he came round, I don't know. And it, but, it was, but it was a three-year relationship. I taught him for three years and it took that long to build, to break down those barriers. Um, and in the end, I didn't quite make it to the end of year 11 with him because I went on maternity leave, but he got an A. Oh, I was going to say, what grade did he get? <laughs> and he's a dentist now, I'm told. So, oh, honestly, uh, I was really like, how did it end? <laughs> no, you know, he went, he did, he, he got his A, he went off to uh, Greenhead, which is a very prestigious sixth form college in Huddersfield, and he became a dentist. And um, yeah. He's, I will always remember that young man. I, I know his name. I'm not saying it for obvious reasons, but yeah, I've, he's got a place in my heart. That kid because he overcame a lot. Um, but yeah, it, it, but it's the day. It, it, at the time, you don't think it's a big moment because you're, you're butting heads with that kid, and you're having you're having to go through a right. You know, where you're having these sit down meetings, getting parents in, and it. But but it's worth it. Every kid's worth it. It's the glimmers of magic, isn't it? Every kid is worth it. That's, mm. Yeah, it is. It's the glimmers of magic. And I think what you've just said there, oh, here comes the cat again. I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is. It's those moments of magic and it's those pockets. And, you know, we talk about this often. Uh, you can't replicate what our job does. I mean, yes, it's stressful. Yes, it's hard. But... I'm talking to you right now and I've got the biggest smile on my face and I hope anybody that's <laughs> listening right now has also got the biggest smile on their face because you're encapsulating everything, every reason why we do what we do and it is, it's the, it's like you say, it's the, it's those little moments and I've had to really kind of retrain my thinking in terms of not going away and focusing on that one bad moment in the lesson that's made me go home and, you know, want to open a bottle of wine and eat a bar of chocolate and it's <laughs> thinking about all the little things that we're very you know as human beings we just forget and I think it's so important and whoever that student is who got his A grade I'm smiling because we've all got <laughs> we've all got that student and I am picturing two or three right now and I hope that anybody that is listening is picturing somebody similar or anybody who's listening who is at the start of that journey Sarah has said relationships so many times during today's conversation you know anybody who's listening who is at the start of their journey with a class or start the journey of their career trust in what she's saying you know you're talking <laughs> 20 years experience here 
build those relationships. Those kids will stay with you forever. The one that's telling you to F off will still be the one that <laughs> sees you in Scarborough High Street just saying over Christmas. Who will be like, who oh, you miss? And you're like, oh, my God. Uh, there, was a, there, was a, yeah, there was a kid that I used to teach. I worked for five years at the very the local comp that my son now goes to. And I was on maternity leave with, with the littlest, my youngest son. And um, I saw this kid, and he were a tough kid. He were like bottom set kids. And he were like, yeah. came over to me. You're all right, miss. He just reminded me saying that. Oh, you had the baby then? Come and have a look. And I was like, don't come near my pram. And he was like, oh, it's that cute, miss. You all right? Right, see ya. And it, it was just, it was just, I was quite anxious thinking, don't want to see this child outside of school, but it was just, you know, they just love, you know, they're just people. And they're, at the end of the day, you know, even the toughest kids, you know, not usually has that, that heart of gold, don't they, you know? And, and, um, yeah, it's, it is little things like that that you remember. 100%. Listen, Ian, we could literally talk, and we have talked for hours. I know. And I'm going to have to absolutely whiz through these last few questions. That's okay. This show is massively going to overrun. And I know that we're pre-recording, and I know that you're somewhere else to be. So <laughs> I am going to absolutely whiz through. So I'm really interested, and I love asking this question to fellow English teachers. Um, what is your favourite topic or novel to teach? Oh, I, Macbeth is one of my favourite plays. I'll keep it really short. I, I Oh, you look surprised. No, it's not one of mine. That's no, oh, I, I really like Macbeth. Um, I was thinking, I, I suppose, I don't know, I really, a lot of the texts I teach, I don't get bored of. The kids have said to me, how many times have you taught in spectacles now, oh, Miss? And I'm like, well, it's magic every time. But so, and Inspector Calls is right up there. Macbeth is up there. I've only started teaching Macbeth for GCSE in the last in the last four years since I was at my school where I'm at now. And it, and and each time I read it, there's something else, and it does captivate the students. Yeah, I really I think it's so you and Juliet. That's mine. Yeah, you see, we teach that. I teach that in year nine, and it certainly it certainly has an impact. But um, there's something about Macbeth. I've loved Macbeth since I studied it for my GCSEs. And I studied it for A-level for theatre studies. And then I studied it for my as part of my degree, where we looked at the idea of whether it was a history play. We looked into some of the, the links between the fictional and the real Macbeth. And I don't know, it just fascinates me. I think there's so many layers to it. And Lady Macbeth is like my go-to, you know, female character. I just think that she's fascinating. Um, so, yeah, that is it's something I really get into. And, I, I mean, I, like I say, I, I don't think there is – the beauty of being head of English as well is you can choose the text that you want to teach. So there isn't a single thing on my curriculum that I don't enjoy. Um, even, dare I say it, um, a Christmas Carol, which I dreaded when I, I don't, I can cope I love with it. Now. A Christmas Carol. Yeah, I did not look forward to teaching that when it when it came onto the syllabus in 2015. Yeah, and I have to say I worked, it, but then I really got into it. The more yeah. I've read it, the more I've found things to talk about, and again, I'm fascinated. You know, political correlations or whatever, but. Yeah, Christmas Carol, I loved teaching. Um, yeah. Jekyll and Hyde, for me, 
I missed the AQA syllabus and I loved teaching Jekyll and Hyde. Right. I've, I used to teach it for coursework years ago and I used to use lots of extracts from it. And I have to say, again, the students always really engaged with it, but I haven't taught it at GCSE. Um, since I came to my school where I'm at now, I've picked up A-level again and I've just read for the umpteenth time The Handmaid's Tale and that never fails to blow my mind. I, again, absolutely love that text. I'm very interested that some of the students this time haven't taken to it, but normally, yeah, no, it, it, that's another story for another day. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, that never fails to amaze me. Some of, when you read some of the things, and it's still so relatable to the, to the situations that are going on around the globe. Um, and obviously, it, there is a new generation of people coming to The Handmaid's Tale because of the television drama, which I've only watched season one of, to be fair. Um, I'm, I'm a purist when it comes to The Handmaid's Tale. I, I, the novel is key for me. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I mean, again, we're trying to sort of bring the interview to a close, so I'm not going to go on and on, but, but there's something about Macbeth and the layers to all the characters um, and the history behind it. I studied history at A-level, and so I love talking about some of the, you know, I love talking about King James and some of his ideas with demonology. Yeah. Um, and there's always something more, when, especially teaching in a selective school and you're looking at how you can push your kids to the eights and the nines, that wider reading. There's some really fascinating things out there. So... So there you go. If you know what's really interesting, every time I interview an English teacher, it doesn't matter if you specify a play or a text, everybody always circumnavigates back to Shakespeare. I mean, the man just, what a guy. I, just, I know. I just, for me, yeah. that's it. And I, I don't care how cliched, I don't care how boring or obvious. For me, that's why I teach. He's Absolutely. That's it. That's everything. Well, I'm taking... Oh, go on. No, no, no. What are you going to say? I was just going to say, I'm taking my a cohort of year 11 to see it live at the Leeds Playhouse. What, Macbeth? William Macbeth. So, oh. that's, I know. So, I'm very, very, I haven't seen a live production of Macbeth for a number of years. So, I'm so giddy. Uh, to be fair, I'm going to probably go twice because I want to take my eldest son to see it as well. So, <laughs> yeah. This, we, we do all right in Dubai, but that is what I miss is the abundance of live theatre. And anybody that's listening that's teaching in the UK, I know there's COVID, I know there's restrictions, but please, any opportunity you've got in your local community, take your kids to see theatre because I miss it wholeheartedly. We had a subscription to Theatre Plus and so yeah. that we could at least watch things because I was teaching The Crucible in my previous yeah. school and that was hard work without them being able to see it. So yeah. please, if you can, take your kids to see theatre because that's so important. I'm going to see, and personal note, going to see Chicago next weekend. Super excited. I love that yeah. musical so much, but it's not something I can take the kids to. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we have touched on this. And I'm really excited just to signpost it with the question. But my question is, what classroom practice or text would you put into Room 101? Well, all I've put is card sorts, exclamation mark. <laughs> I didn't realise that they were universally detested. 
but well, um, they are in our family that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> well, them. i think they're awful yeah i i mean they have a place but when you have got 101 jobs to do cutting things out laminating them handing them out getting them back in they never go back in the right order do they yeah. kids lose them you find them shoved out back at radiator at the back of the room it's like and then you've never got you've got to do a new set every time you do it there, there is more to life than trying to cut up things for, for, for lessons <laughs> i remember leaving my school in the uk before i moved to the uae and finding a stack of envelopes and i opened them i was like oh my god i made a card sort like that is how infrequently i use them i can't bear them so apologies to the car purists out there. But there. There may be a Twitter backlash, I don't know. Um, the Ricketts Hancock family is saying, no, <laughs> we know. Move on, next Move question. On. So, so finally, my last question, because we could actually talk for days, um, and this is an important question, and we have kind of touched upon this, but I think it's really important to kind of and the whole conversation and um, what is the best piece of advice or best pieces of advice that you have received as a teacher as a hod yeah so I was thinking about this and I have touched on a few things actually like know your stuff as a head of department you yeah can't, you know it's, it's a lot harder to argue with somebody that knows their syllabus inside out I would say when I was an NQT um, and I look back 20 years ago, you know, some of the senior leadership team were close to retirement. So this was advice from somebody that had been in the game a long time and through a different period in education. But he talked a lot about pacing yourself. If you're really going to put 110% into a lesson, do it in the morning, maybe plan some quieter lessons in the afternoon. And I don't know how much I, you know, I don't know whether I still live by that or not, but pacing yourself, I think, is important um, because they're long half terms and I think I've used the analogy a couple of times marathon not sprint but um, you know you can't do an all singing all the dancing lesson and nor should you and as I say I don't like a gimmick anyway but pacing yourself in all that you do in your job is so important um, when I went to the school that I was there for, for only 18 months a guy said to me a teacher said to me Working in a tough school will make you a better teacher, absolutely. So if you are working in a challenging, all schools are challenging and have for different reasons, but I think this is very much face-to-face -face with young people from deprived backgrounds where there are lots of barriers in the way of them learning. Um, it's If you are in that school at the moment, just know that every day you are developing and learning new skills and resiliences that will set you up for a lifetime and some people dedicate their lives to working in that environment i have to say i've done it a couple of times i would think twice before i myself go back into a, a challenging school like that however what i learned through those experiences makes me the teacher i am today um there is nowhere to hide when you work in a, in a tough school um and then finally, I came across, um, it's called Sumo, and I think that, that it's a whole concept, a whole idea. Um, if you Google Sumo, there is a website, and I think there's a book, and I think it's some sort of leadership guru who's into all this. But essentially, I think it's a, a six-step 
process, when you come across a problem or a challenge as a leader, you should sumo it. And the idea is, will this matter tomorrow? Will this matter in six weeks? Will this matter in six months? And essentially, it's about picking your battles and how big a problem is this really? At the moment, it might feel very intense, but how big a problem will that be tomorrow or in a week and so on? And if you look at it, so like I say, if you Google it, it comes up and um, I have it printed out on my wall next to my desk and it's very, and if something happens, do I want to kick off about this or do I want to sit on this and think about it? Do I need to walk away? And I think that, that and, and Sumo is a very valuable tool to decide, does this need action or can this be something that we let go? Um, and it's a bit like writing, writing that email. Um, you know, if you want to write that email, and I'm using air quotes here, you know the ones when you're really, really, really hacked off. Write it, save it, come back to it. Do you really want to send it? Um, and I think Sumo is a little bit like that for me. It's like, how big a problem is this? Does it need something to happen? Or will it not be that big a deal when you've calmed down? And I think that's really powerful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm honestly, I've got so many notes of things that I could sum up from this conversation. I mean, I can't believe it's taken me this long to actually get you on the show. This has been the <laughs> best getting you here and talking to you and hearing you with this kind of perspective. This isn't the kind of thing that we can do. Not that we've been able to have family parties because I'm in Dubai, we've had COVID, blah, blah, blah. But this isn't the kind of thing that we've ever been able to sit and actually do a family party. So first of all, everybody that's listening, thank you for indulging me today. Um, <laughs> I'm me. I'm me. I feel this has been very indulgent. So I do no, feel absolutely that. Absolutely not. This has been absolutely phenomenal. And the advice that you have given people has been incredible. So to close out our conversation, you know, first of all, be kind have impact, know your stuff, protect yourself, and believe in yourself. They're my takeaways from today, as well as the fact that I'm now gonna go and research Sumo. I have a feeling though, Sarah, that my mum, your Auntie Kate, actually has that book on her bookshelf, and I'm kind of kicking myself, and I was kind of skimming through when I was at home what things I needed to steal and bring back with me, because now I can see it in my yeah. eye. Um, but Sarah, I can't thank you enough. You have been the most incredible, insightful, but also passionate. You encapsulate what we're looking for in terms of teaching and leadership. So I really hope that everybody who's listening has taken as much away from this conversation as I have. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. It's been really fun. I've absolutely loved it. So Sarah... Thank you so much, and thank you to everybody who's been listening. So welcome back, and thank you for sticking with that interview with Head of English and my cousin, Sarah Hancock. Um, it's very strange listening back to your own voice, um, but actually, I really enjoyed it because 
I picked up even more from Sarah and what we discussed the other day. Um, so thank you very much to her for being my first guest of 2022. Um, I've overrun. I started early and I've overrun. Um, the phenomenal Kate Jones is following me at, I'm looking at the time, it's going to be 10pm Dubai time, so that's going to be 6pm UK time. And after Kate, we have got Tom Rogers, we've got the boss. So, I mean, what a lineup today that you have got following me, Kate Jones, and then the boss of Teachers Talk Radio himself, Mr. Tom Rogers. So thank you so much for everybody who has listened in. And I am really looking forward to being back with you next week. Enjoy the rest of the shows for today. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.